Hi, and thanks for joining us for our Purdue Commercial AgCast podcast focused on the corn and soybean outlook. Joining me today are my colleagues, Dr. Nathan Thompson, who's an associate professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics, and Michael Langemeyer, who's a professor and the associate director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture. I'm Jim Minter, director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture. We're going to spend the next few minutes just talking about some of the new information the USDA released this week with respect to the corn and soybean markets. And of course, this week was the week that USDA released the October crop production report, which everybody had been anxiously awaiting, along with an updated set of world ag supply demand estimates. And there were some surprises. Uh, On the yield side, corn numbers came down a little bit, I think 2.7% below a year ago. Uh, the yield number, I think, was 171.9. If you compare that to the trend uh, from a longer-term perspective, that puts us significantly below the trend. Uh, not a huge difference with respect to what the trade was expecting coming in. Um, pretty much in the middle of the road there, I think some people were expecting to see a smaller number than what USDA came up with. Um, when you look at it from a, a corn production standpoint, very much in the middle of what the trade was expecting at at roughly 13.9 billion bushels. So if you look at that from a longer term standpoint, that brings us down compared to last year. Last year, of course, we were up a little bit over 15 billion bushels. So it's a drop on a year to year basis of over a billion bushels in terms of corn production. Puts us about back where we were on the 2020 crop. That 2020 crop was at 14.1 billion bushels, so a little bit smaller than 2020, uh, but significantly smaller than uh, what we were in, in 21. Most of that was anticipated prior to the reports released, so it wasn't a shock, but still uh, it points towards tighter supplies. On the demand side, looking at the USDA's ag uh, supply demand estimates, the focus has really been on exports, ethanol usage. Those are really the two drivers uh, that people have been focused on here lately. And again, USDA uh, forecast weaker exports. They've got corn exports now at 2.15 billion bushels. You go back to two years ago, uh, corn exports were 2.75 billion bushels. Last year, just under 2.5 billion bushels. And I think the concern is, given some of the weak export numbers we've had so far early in this marketing year, the concern is we could be looking at further reductions in exports uh, and, and future reports. So that has really focused, uh, been one of the focuses of the, of the trade here, I think, f- uh, not only uh, following the report, but obviously before the report as well. When you look at USDA's carryover numbers, this is pretty interesting. Um, on the September report for the 21 crop, so the carryover from the 21 crop into the 22 crop, USDA in uh, September was at 1.525 billion bushels. That came down pretty hard uh, this month to 1.377 billion bushels. So that's a pretty big move uh, with respect to those ending stocks from the 21 crop coming into the 22 crop. And then as you look at the estimate for ending stocks for the 22 crop going into the 23 crop year, those did tighten as well. Um, Last month, USDA was forecasting, I think, 1.219 billion bushel carryover. That in itself was a pretty big reduction compared to what they forecast in August. And now it's down again to 1.172 billion bushels uh, here on this October report. So we've got a projected carryover of just over uh, a billion bushels. That's the tightest carryover we've had in in some time for respect to to corn. Um, 
and I think maybe has some implications with respect to marketing strategies. Nathan, you're going to talk more uh, about basis here a little bit later, but when you see corn numbers that are that tight, that has some implications about what's going to happen with respect to basis, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things going on. We were talking earlier, not only do we have these tight carryovers, but we've got producers who are investing more than they ever have in getting a crop out. And I think all of that together uh, impacts the way we think about risk management and marketing. Yeah, I think I, that's a good way to put it, because I think ordinarily you look at a tight carryover like that, and that kind of leads you down one path with respect to marketing strategies. But I think one of the things we're going to talk about here today is the fact that the risk profile has changed quite a bit with this tremendous elevation in production costs. So we'll talk more about that later. When you look at corn ending stocks as a percentage of usage, which is a nice way to scale those ending stocks and, and make comparisons over a, a longer time period, a number of years, uh, the ending stock projection for the 22 crop going into the 23 crop year is a carryover of just over 8%, I think 8.3% uh, on USDA's balance sheet this month. You know, you go back uh, just three years, uh, and that carryover was at 14%. Go back to the 18 crop, we were at 16%. We've been relatively tight here these last couple of years. The 20 crop carryover was at, uh, wound up at about that 8.3%. Um, the 21 crop, right around 9%. So, uh, by historical standards, that's pretty tight. If you go back the last time in history that we had carryovers this tight, was in the 2011, 2012, and 2013 timeframe when the carryover was ranging between about seven and nine percent. So, we're in that kind of an environment with it, with a pretty tight carryover. Um, again, though, people are looking at what's taking place elsewhere in the world, and so one of the ways to look at that is to look at the uh, ending stocks of competing major exporters around the world. And of course, those competing exporters are uh, Argentina, Brazil, South Africa, uh, Ukraine, and Russia. And of course, a lot of the attention is focusing uh, pretty heavily on, on Ukraine. Um, ending stocks projections in those competing exporters are pretty holding steady or, or maybe a little bit smaller than, than what they were last month. I think last month we were right around uh, 2%. This month it's uh, just a little under 2%, 1.9%. So I, the, a lot of the concern there is focused pretty, very heavily on what's going on in Ukraine. And USDA keeps kind of guessing a little bit, I think. Uh, there's really no other way to put it in terms of how you forecast exports coming out of Ukraine these days. But they're a little more optimistic about seeing larger exports coming out of Ukraine than they were a month ago. And I, that continues to be a wild card as we head through the rest of the fall and, and really through the winter. And I think really throughout the, the 22 crop marketing year, we're going to continue to debate uh, what's going to take place there. Michael, what's your, what's your take on that? You've been watching that as well. Yeah, certainly. Certainly, when you look at this, uh, uh, you look at all the major exporters. Some pretty tight stocks. You know, they're not as tight as they were last year, but they're still relatively tight, uh, particularly compared to soybeans. Yeah, I think one of the things the market is looking at is whether or not the agreement uh, with respect to the export corridor, which expires in November, if that's going to be renewed, and if it is renewed, what might be the conditions? So, just a lot of uncertainty with respect to. Uh, competing exporters, mainly out of that Black Sea region. Um, a little farther down the road, though, there is this expectation for a resurgence in production in South America, uh, and that, I think, is a factor as well. I think there's kind of an underlying assumption that we're going to see a big rebound in South America, not only on the, ac not only on the acreage side, uh, but from a weather standpoint. And, and so we're already in the stage where people are watching weather forecasts for South America pretty carefully. 
Uh, those are coming out just about every day uh, with respect to impacting uh, planting conditions down there and obviously crop prospects. Nathan, you've been looking at uh, cash forward bids and, and basis for corn. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so starting out, just want to look at what's going on as it relates to kind of cash forward contract bids for corn at one location, looking at East Central Indiana. And so they're bidding 671 for fall delivery. And then what uh, is interesting is we see those bids appreciate as we move through the end of the year, December, and then into the beginning of next year. Uh, in January, looking at a cash bid of $6.92. And then that cash bid stays pretty flat through you know early summer of, of next year. And so when you look at that appreciation early uh, in the crop marketing year, so again, through about the end of the year, beginning of next year, uh, there's really very little carry in corn futures markets right now. And so a lot of that is basis appreciation. And so they're they're willing to kind of uh, appreciate basis between now and, and January of 23. After that, they're really not willing to, to give us a lot of basis appreciation beyond that in terms of what those bids are currently. And that probably has to do with some of the uncertainty uh, as it relates to a lot of both supply and demand factors right now. Yeah, as I look at those bids, <clears throat> excuse me, as I look at those bids, Nathan, it's kind of interesting. If, uh, looking at your estimated cost of on-farm storage and used a, a penny a bushel per month, which seems pretty reasonable, plus the opportunity cost of a 6% APR investment in the, uh, you know, the dollars that are invested in that corn. And as you look at your uh, cash bid uh, for January, you've got 692, and your current bid plus on-farm storage for January is at 679. So you could sell corn today that you've got in storage on the farm that you've just harvested um, and make a little return, uh, 13 cent return, at least on this your current estimate. Um, how normal is that when you think about this? That strikes me as not something we're normally able to do, right? Yeah, I mean, well, <clears throat> so. <laughs> Normal anymore is very hard to... Uh, I used a bad word. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, on, on one hand, you look at the last several years, and those forward contract bids have come in well below uh, these kind of projected break-evens based on, you know, an assumed storage cost, even for an on-farm scenario. So the fact that it's above it is surprising to begin with. But then I think that the margin between my break-even uh, and, and that cash bid being, like you said, about 13 cents... The size of that is certainly unusual, right? We would expect uh, those those forward contract bids to probably be at least a little bit closer. You know, when you're looking at storing the crop for just three months, maybe uh, that's a pretty good margin to build in there to forward contract to know you're going to deliver that grain uh, in January and you've got 13 cents above what you're going to have tied up in storage costs. So certainly um, not something we've seen recently, and, and the size of that potential return there um, is is bigger than what I would expect to see. And, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are prob probably in this position where we're in the midst of corn harvest. Uh, yields, uh, depending on where you're at, are pretty good. Uh, that's not true everywhere, obviously, but certainly a lot of our listeners are in a situation where the yields are pretty good. And thinking about what to do with respect to sales, and from an income standpoint, a lot of people probably don't want to make additional sales for the 22 tax year. But looking ahead to January, depending on where you're at on your sales, um, locking in some of those uh, somewhere close to what we're at today or certainly watching the market on a very you know day-to-day -day basis and, and looking for some opportunities, 
um, might be a, might be a good spot to, to move some corn. Yeah, I definitely think that it's something that people should consider. Again, we'll talk in a few minutes about kind of just cash price opportunities, you know, not setting a Ford contract. Uh, and, and maybe there might be a little more meat on the bone, so to speak, in terms of, you know, uh, looking at futures and where we think basis is going, as opposed to locking in, you know, to deliver in January at a particular location with these forward contract bids. But nonetheless, uh, I do think that, you know, with, with the amount of risk out there, it's certainly not a bad strategy to be thinking about uh, those opportunities, even with some, some forward contracting. Yeah, so let's talk about some of those other aspects that are going to influence that decision. And of course, you've been looking at the basis. Uh, this is looking at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's crop basis tool, which you maintain. The basis charts look pretty interesting. Yeah, so we started off the year, uh, crop marketing year, so beginning of September, with, with basis levels that were pretty in line with the historical three-year average. And that has declined pretty quickly. Again, some of that decline was expected, right? As we move into harvest, basis is expected to kind of weaken uh, based on its seasonal pattern. But we've seen that weaken kind of more than usual this year. And there's a number of factors that are, that are contributing to that. But looking at central Indiana, you know, we're probably 25 cents below that historical average. Uh, and looking at basis, that's probably 30, 35 cents under uh, December corn futures right now. Yeah, so the, the weakness in relative to the, the multi-year average is really kind of interesting. And, and again, when you look at those forward contract bids, what they're essentially, part of what's going on there is the assumption uh, on the part of the elevators that we're going to see these basis levels return to more historic, uh, historically normal levels, right? Right. So then uh, looking again at uh, nearby basis, um, for corn, but this time in southwest Indiana, so kind of a, a little different regional perspective. Uh, again, pretty similar pattern where we've seen basis weaken uh, here at the, the beginning of the crop marketing year. That That's pretty typical. But again, the weakness is um, stronger than normal, right? And so uh, particularly in southwest Indiana, which is a little bit of a proxy for maybe what's going on at the river market, we've seen basis weaken well below that historical average. So again, you're looking at probably more like 40 cents uh, below the historical average, you know, probably 45 cents under December corn futures. And that story really translates uh, more strongly when you look at it uh, uh, with uh, just the uh, river terminals. So I, I pulled out just a few uh, river terminals here on the next slide that um, look at corn basis there just at, at those river terminals and you can see that uh, your basis has just plummeted and that really has to do with what's going on uh, with with river levels uh, and not being able to get barges up and down the river and so you know we went from basis that was uh, uh, basically zero uh, at the end of September to basis being about 90 under December corn futures uh, beginning of October so a huge decline there and again uh, there's no forecast for a lot of precipitation to kind of uh, reopen a lot of that river activity. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens to these numbers. Because again, we would expect them to bottom out around harvest and then start to appreciate moving forward. This year, there, there might be some challenges to seeing basis appreciate if we're not able to get barges out. Yeah, I mean, what's happened there has been, you know, the backup in barges. And I think our listeners are probably have been hearing about that or reading about that. And then, of course, the related point is some of those barges are still being loaded. They're just not being loaded to capacity. Right. And what that has done, of course, is, is dramatically increase the freight cost 
Um, so this is really a problem, and it's of course it, it extends beyond the grain markets, right? We start thinking about uh, input supplies coming in on barges, particularly fertilizer. Um, lots of challenges here with respect to how dry it's been, the impact that's had on river levels, and then obviously showing up in the basis. And of course, the interesting thing was the way the basis collapsed, right? If you were watching on a daily basis, uh, there was about a three, depending on your location, about a three to five day span when the basis just really collapsed as, as it became clear that the elevators and terminals were not going to be able to load those barges anywhere close to capacity. So. So then next, looking at basis uh, for ethanol plants uh, here in Indiana. Um, and so again, similar pattern, beginning of the crop marketing year, we've seen basis at those ethanol plants weaken. That's not particularly surprising. Again, uh, basis levels this year are uh, a little bit weaker at those ethanol plants than maybe uh, the uh, what the historical average would tell us. So probably 10 cents under that historical average basis at those plants. Uh, but nothing like what we've seen, say, at those those river terminals. So again, a little bit weaker, but um, uh, following a pretty similar pattern and maybe even starting to flatten out a little bit to turn towards uh, some appreciation as we move out of harvest. Yeah, so the ethanol situation is going to be interesting with respect to what happens to uh, demand for gasoline here this fall. And certainly some early indications are of demand backing off uh, and seeing reduced usage. And that has some big implications for where we're going on the ethanol side. And of course, as we indicated earlier, uh, USDA has cut back their estimate for how much ethanol we're going to, how much corn we're going to use for ethanol for the uh, calendar year. So uh, the, the last thing here I wanted to do was just take a minute and look at kind of cash price opportunities uh, at the beginning of 23. So looking at January 23 uh, delivery. And so I'm using March 23 corn futures this morning. We're at about $7.01. Uh, if I look at the crop basis tool and look at that historical average, I'm looking at um, uh, about one cent over basis there uh, in central Indiana, which would put me at a $7.02 cash price. So again, uh, a little bit stronger than what those forward contracts, uh, forward contract bids that I showed earlier were, uh, but not too far off from that. And so, you know, I think that $7 mark is uh, something that really gets people's attention, right? When we're looking at opportunities to uh, sell corn for over $7, that's certainly something that, that has to get your attention in terms of, uh, you know, what is it that you're looking to get out of this uh, crop in terms of a price? And that certainly is a price that should get people's attention, at least for, for making some sales, uh, whether that's through the forward contract avenue or whether that's hedging or whether that's even a strategy we've we've uh, advocated for in the past, you know, storing and waiting, uh, which again, there's risk with that, but for a portion of the crop uh, through the end of the year, beginning of next, that's typically a relatively low risk strategy. Some combination of those, uh, depending on kind of your risk tolerance, is, is certainly something that you need to be thinking about. So, Michael, thinking about that roughly $7 mark and, and I, the cash forward bid you had, Nathan, I think was what, six ninety two is what you were right, looking yeah. at. Uh, your hedge price uh, using futures in a, in a more typical uh, three-year average basis, right around that $7 mark. Michael, thinking about break-evens for the 22 crop, and you compute those, you've been computing those really throughout the course of the year. How's that compared to most people's break-evens? Very favorably. The break-evens for high productivity was around 525. That, that's assuming you get have trend yields. 
which is a big assumption. There's a lot of variability in yields this year. Uh, and then for the average productivity, uh, corn in Indiana, which would be a right, right around 182, 183 bushel, bushels per acre, uh, break evens closer to 560. But certainly comparing to, to $7, uh, that, that would be a good margin. And refresh my memory, Michael, so when you computed your break-evens, what kind of an increase in input cost did you have in there for 22 versus, say, 21? Yeah, if you look at 21 compared to 22 and you're looking at corn, uh, 25%. So a 25% increase in break-even prices, uh, and so, but but still, I mean that's one of the big surprises. You know, uh, yeah, looking at the 22 crop, uh, these prices have improved substantially uh, since early in the year, and and created really a, a a really good margin for the 22 crop. And so, you know, Nathan, I think one of the things we want to talk about here is the fact that when you're making your marketing decisions, it's about a little more than just what you think the outlook is. It really is about managing the risk. And if you've got an opportunity to lock in some very positive margins, as Michael was just talking about, that's got to be part of your thinking here, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something we advocate for regularly is, is knowing, you know, what is your break even? What is your cost of production? Uh, and and triggering your marketing decisions off of that, right? And so being able to, to lock in a margin, and again, as Michael mentioned, a, a very good margin at this point, uh, is something that you need to do, um, uh, again, as best fits for your operation. Uh, because again, there's a lot of uncertainty here, and, and we'll talk about that on the next slide here uh, as, as it relates to downside risk. Obviously, you know, there's some people when we talk about uh, tight stock situation that there's also upside potential, but you know, you need to be able to manage that. Um, both ways. Yeah, so one of the things that we like to use and, and to help quantify the, the amount of risk that's out there is to look at the price distribution tool that our colleagues at the University of Illinois publish um, called the uh, from the Farm Doc team. And if you look at those uh, probabilities of price uh, prices at expiration, so when the contract goes off the board, we're looking at uh, the one for uh, March, the 23 uh, CBOT contract. Um, the midpoint is just about that $7 mark, $6.96. But the range is pretty wide, right? So if you start thinking about, you know, what, what kind of range in prices you might see, and I'm going to use a 25% chance and a 75% chance, the range they've got there is about, what, 636 to 762 uh, So, you know, you need to think about that a little bit in terms of, well, what would happen uh, if prices did dip down to, for example, that 630, 635 mark, uh, what would that do to the profitability of your operation? Michael, that still leaves you above your break-even, but boy, you've given up a big chunk of the margin, right? Yes, you have. So that's something to think about, and uh, uh, we'll have that. In, if you choose to download the slides that go along with this podcast, we'll have the, that chart in there. You might want to take a look at that in a little more detail. Let's turn our attention to soybeans a little bit. Um, there was a surprise on the reports this week with respect to soybeans. The soybean yield did come down to 49.8, so they dropped it below 50 bushels. Uh, it's down about 1.4% from the prior month. And if you compare it to the prior year, that's down about, oh, not quite 4%, I think 3.7%. And, you know, Michael, as you, as you look at these, I know you like to look at the state numbers. What were the surprises on there for you? Well, one of the... 
one of the things that kind of surprised me is is most of the states where where uh, uh, the yields were, were adjusted downward. There's only a couple of states, what North, North Dakota and, and Wisconsin, where the yields were actually were adjusted upward. Another thing, when you compare year to year changes, uh, most of our listeners are in the Eastern Corn Belt. Just how bad the, the, the yields are in the Western Corn Belt. Uh, Nebraska, 22 percent uh, below last year's yield. Kansas, 30 percent uh, last year's yield, and an average yield in, in Kansas of only 28 uh, bushels per acre. And so, just uh, the drought is really taking a, a big chunk out of those yields in the Western Corn Belt. And and I think the name of the the name of the game for soybeans this year is variability in yields. Just huge differences among states and even within states uh, to some extent. Uh, you know, who, who got the rain, the timely rains, who did not get the timely rains? Yeah, I think, you know, as, as I look at the change relative to last month, I think that surprised most of us, obviously the trade as well. Uh, talking to farmers that have done some harvesting, that's been the story I've been picking up from them as well, that yields aren't terrible, just not as good as they expected or good as they hoped for. So. Um, if you look at the trade uh, numbers relative to what USDA published, um, the production number obviously then came in at the extreme low end of what the trade was expecting. I think the midpoint of the trade was expecting a, a soybean production number of about 4.4 billion bushels. Uh, USDA came in just above that 4.3 billion bushel mark. So it was a surprise. We saw a reaction uh, as soon as the report was released. Um, Maybe not as strong as, as we might have thought because of the concerns that exist on the demand side. And of course, you look at the soybean export number, uh, again, USDA uh, pulling back a little bit on that. I think they're currently forecasting soybean exports of just over 2 billion bushels, 2.05 billion bushels. Last year's export number, 2.16. Two years ago, 2.27. So softer exports, that's a concern. Um, you know, Nathan, if you think about what's taking place in the river, um, there are some reasons to be very worried about that because this is a big window for us in terms of soybean exports, particularly to China. And there's a concern that we might miss the window. It's a little premature to say that's happened already, but it's certainly a concern if this dry weather conditions and low river levels continue for the next few weeks, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if we miss that window of, of our exports to China, right, and once Brazil uh, gets in there, you know, we, we may miss out on some of that. And so those river levels are going to be a big factor uh, here for the next several months. So one of the reasons that we probably didn't see as strong a reaction to the yield reduction that USDA provided this week on soybeans was the fact that when they went back and looked at usage levels for the 21 crop and estimated the carryover from the 21 crop into the 22 crop year, they actually bumped up that estimate. So on the September report, they were forecasting a carryover of 240 million bushels. Here on the October report, they wound up at 274 million bushels. So that kind of helped offset much of the reduction in yield that was showing up here on the 22 crop. You look at the estimates for carryover coming out of the 22 crop into the 23 crop year. They held that constant uh, with this report uh, at 200 million bushels. That's the same number as we had in September. That is down compared to where it was in August. In August, they were forecasting 245 million bushels. So 
kind of offsetting uh, issues there with respect to a larger carryover coming out of last year's crop, smaller production number coming out of this year's crop, and then you throw on some concerns about what's taking place on the export side. And, and uh, we got a little bump with respect to soybean prices, but probably not as much as you might have guessed given the yield reduction. Um, soybean ending stocks projected uh, as a percentage of usage out of this crop remain very, very tight. Um, this month estimate 4.5% carryover um, going into the 23 crop year. Uh, last year, we wound up with a 6%, 6.1% carryover. That was larger than what we were talking about a month ago because of that increase in the carryover. Two years ago, we were at 6%. If you compare the 4.5 to the last time we were roughly that low, we were down at that level in both the 14 and 15 crop years. Uh, we were below that level back in the 13 and to some extent maybe the 2012 crop year. But, you know, as I look at the history of soybean carryover relative to usage, this is still pretty darn tight, right? Four and a half percent, which suggests some volatility out there, right, Michael? That's, that's definitely the case. I mean, there's there's so much uncertainty right now, though. Uh, if this would be probably be a, this would probably seem even tighter if there wasn't some concerns related to world demand. I mean, certainly world economies uh, don't look real good right now, and, and the prospects don't look uh, particularly promising. And so I, th I think that is impacting things. Yeah, it, it certainly seems to be. And of course, uh, the big one that people are looking at, uh, especially on the soybean side, is China. Uh, and so there's weakness with respect to China's import demand. Obviously, some political discussions taking place there that aren't very promising. And then you combine that with the river levels, difficulty in exporting, prospects for a larger crop coming on from South America, uh, just a lot of negativity there. So thinking about the competition from those export channels, um, if you look at ending stocks in the competing major exporters, which are obviously Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay, so it's all from South America, um, those ending stocks are projected at about 15% coming out of this 22 crop a year. But as you look ahead, depending on the weather conditions in South America, prospects for significantly larger production down there are certainly uh, on the horizon. And that has a lot of people, I think, pretty concerned, particularly given what's taken place with respect to the slow exports from our side uh, here so far in this marketing year. USDA did pull back their national average uh, cash soybean price estimate for the marketing year. Uh, they dropped it down to $14. I think they were at $14.30 or $35 coming in. So that was a significant drop. I think that largely reflected the weakness in prices that we've already observed. So I don't know how much of that is, is relative uh, related to their forecast, more along the lines of what's already taken place. Um, Nathan, you've taken a look at storage opportunities, looking at those cash-forward bids relative to estimated cost of on, both on-farm storage and commercial storage. Yeah, so looking at the soybean side of things in terms of what cash bids are, so again, there's a, a $13.31 cash bid for delivery uh, this fall. Uh, that bid jumps to $13.95 in December and January of 23. Uh, and so, uh, again, a little different than on the corn side here. There is uh, some uh, carry built into those soybean futures markets, uh, which would, would impact those uh, increasing bids. But then also, again, a pretty strong appreciation and basis between now uh, and the end of the year that's impacting those. And again, if you compare those uh, with uh, my kind of implied break-evens that factor in on-farm storage and, and an opportunity cost, 
well above where you would need to be to just cover uh, those storage costs and opportunity costs. So again, for those implied break-evens, I'm looking at like $13.52, $13.62 in December, and then in January. And so that $13.95 is is well above that. Uh, They don't have bids uh, in February, March, and April, but they do have a May bid out uh, at the location that I kind of pulled these numbers from. Their May bid was right under $14.00. Uh, and so, again, that's kind of interesting because that is above uh, the implied break-even that I have for an on-farm storage scenario into May, but kind of right below uh, the commercial storage scenario. So, again, even looking at, you know, looking at those forward contract bids here uh, through the end of the year, beginning of next, uh, certainly some opportunities there for folks that, that want to use that as a marketing tool. But even looking kind of further out, there may be some opportunities further into the crop marketing year, into to next spring and maybe even early summer, to be looking at those forward contract bids and, and kind of doing your own calculations as far as what your costs are in terms of storage uh, and using those forward contracts as, as kind of part of a, a broader marketing portfolio. So you've taken a look at the basis as well. Yeah, so pretty pretty similar in terms of the general trends uh, on the basis side uh, for soybeans is what we saw for corn. So again, we started out with relatively strong soybean basis at the beginning of the crop marketing year going uh, back to September. Uh, that has kind of uh, declined here uh, over the first uh, couple of months of the marketing year uh, to the point where it's now below the historical average. So again, historical average. Uh, soybean basis in central Indiana uh, using a two-year historical average for this time of year would be, you know, maybe 30 cents under the November uh, soybean futures. Uh, and it's currently at maybe 50 cents under, so, you know, maybe 20 cents weaker uh, than that historical average. But again, similar to what we saw for corn, where that really starts to see uh, a big discrepancy is in southwest Indiana. Uh, and so looking at that chart, um, uh Soybean basis this year has just kind of nosedived from the beginning of the crop marketing year uh, to now to where, uh, you know, we're looking at basis that's uh, probably 80 cents under November uh, soybean futures, which uh, is significantly weaker than uh, the historical two-year average that we would see there uh, in southwest Indiana, which may be more like 20 cents under the, the November soybean futures contract. And again, that's simply reflecting the fact that you can't move very many soybeans on the river these days, and that's simply just backing up through the system. Exactly. And and again, that's even more uh, obvious uh, when we look at it for just those river terminals. We see uh, a pretty similar story. But again, you know, we're looking at basis that's um, 60, 70 cents under uh, where we would normally see basis uh, at about zero at those river terminals. So again, what's happening down uh, at the river is having a really big impact on basis um, at those locations. And you know, when you look at the data, you can see how hard it impacted uh, from the time frame. The beginning of soybean harvest, we were pretty much running typical basis levels at the river. Yep. And then almost overnight, within just a few days, just as harvest was getting underway, we lost, in many locations, access to the river, uh, at least on a competitive basis. Mm-hmm. So had a huge impact. Creates a tremendous incentive to store. Right? Yeah. It, uh, yeah, that's right. I think one of the things to think about is if you are uh, in a position to do so, you know, I think we're going to see some people uh, dust off some storage facilities that maybe haven't been used lately. Uh, um, certainly a tremendous incentive to do that uh, and, and to not sell into these kind of negative basis levels, right? Right. 
Uh, and then again, looking at uh, soybean basis, but this time at the processors. So this is just for the state of Indiana. I take all the, the soybean processors and kind of lump them together in one kind of average index uh, of, of basis at those processors. Again, you know, basis has weakened. Not surprising. That's the pattern that we would expect to see. Uh, it's really, you know, much more in line with the historical two-year average at those processor locations relative to what we've talked about with some of what's going on at the river, uh, but maybe slightly weaker than average. And, uh, you know, we would expect that to kind of reach its seasonal low and probably start to, to strengthen here as we move towards the end of the year. And thinking of those uh, soybean processor bids in Indiana, the news this week, of course, was Bungie is going to make a big expansion of their processing facility at Morristown. Uh, that obviously won't have any impact on the 22 crop, but uh, as we look down the road, that's good news for uh, Indiana soybean growers with respect to uh, uh, supporting the basis levels here in the interior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that'll be really interesting to track because that will have a big impact on basis in that region. So you're looking at some uh, pricing opportunities as well. Yeah, so looking at opportunities just based on you know current futures prices and, and what we think basis is going to do. Um, looking at a, kind of a January delivery scenario, I'm using March 23 soybean futures. This morning they were at four dollars and fifteen cents. Uh, looking at the crop basis tool, uh, historical basis in central Indiana for January is usually around thirteen cents. Uh, under that March futures contract. So again, that 14.15 minus 13 cents puts us at a cash price of about $14.02. So again, uh, it's a price that people need to be paying attention to and thinking about. Uh, again, very similar to corn, slightly uh, higher than what we saw on those forward contract bids. Uh, but, uh, you know, still um, using those strategies as they best fit kind of your risk profile of what you're wanting to achieve. Uh, where, you know, this strategy, uh, again, you could use uh, a storage hedge, right? You would hedge futures and just uh, speculate on that, that appreciation and basis between now and then, as opposed to, you know, the, the forward contract scenario, you'd be locking in both futures and basis and delivery location. Uh, but again, you would know for sure what that price was going to be. So uh, all of those are strategies that people probably need to be paying attention to. So, Michael, thinking about that uh, uh, hedge price that, that Nathan was just talking about of roughly $14, how does that compare to your estimated break-evens on both average and high productivity? It's, it's a very end? similar situation to corn. Uh, the break-evens are, are closer to 12 to 1250, uh, depending on you know, depending on if you have the high productivity versus the average productivity soil. And so, if you got trend yields, you're you're looking at some really good margins again for the 22 crop for soybeans and corn. So, Nathan, thinking about strategies for both uh, pricing corn and soybeans, probably depends pretty heavily on where you are at in the state, right? If you're if you're uh, in one of these regions, for example, Southwest, where the basis levels have been very weak. You're going to want to avoid the forward contracts, perhaps, uh, and, and expectation of seeing even stronger basis than what those forward contract bids have in them, right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You're going to want to be paying attention where you're at, what's kind of going on there uh, as far as uh, the situation in your region of the state and, and what is likely to happen with those basis patterns moving forward. Because, again, we're talking about strategies that you're implementing, you know, end of the year, you know, January of next. So we're not talking about long time horizons. Our research shows when, you, when you're talking about basis, over a long, longer time horizon, those historical averages uh, are, are your best bet in terms of forecasting basis. But when you're looking over shorter horizons, you know, the, the next 
month, two months, three months is probably getting kind of far out there. But, uh, you know, we would expect the weakness that's there now to, to persist at least over the short run. Whereas over the longer run, some of that, you know, kind of levels out. We kind of revert back to those averages. Yeah, looking at your research, when you get out to roughly past 12 weeks, so roughly past three months after the first of the year, our best estimate today would be to see the bases probably revert somewhere in the neighborhood of, of those averages. And so one way to kind of track that is to just go to the Center for Commercial Agriculture's Crop Basis Tool. So just for our listeners that haven't haven't had a chance to tap into that, uh, Nathan, you, you update that every Friday, uh, and it's based on Wednesday cash and futures prices. So it's, it's Wednesday prices, Wednesday basis levels. Uh, but you update that on Friday morning, so good time for people to catch up with that Friday afternoon, Friday evening, over the course of the weekend, and, and just see what's going on with the basis. The, the regional basis levels, so it might not reflect or match your individual elevator, but it still gives you a good idea what's going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really what the tool is designed to do. And so, again, I op update it first thing Friday morning, so go and check it out, you know, sometime Friday or over the weekend. And, again, it, it is a regional average, and so it's not meant to reflect what's going on at any individual one location, but it gives you just a sense of the overall trend or pattern uh, and what basis is doing. And so I think that's a good place to start. And, and then from there, drilling down on some locations uh, where you might be interested in, in delivering to and, and looking specifically at those bids. Because again, they might be higher or lower than what the, the tool is reporting, given that it's kind of averaging all of that in. So, but it's a, it's a good, to me, it's a good first place to start to kind of just look what, what's, what's going on in terms of basis this week, right? And you and I always think it's good to look at the basis and track what's going on. But this is a, especially one of those years, given what's taken place uh, on the export side and the impact that that's had on basis levels. And uncertainty about when that might return back to normal. Yeah, for sure. So again, we like to look at the University of Illinois' price distribution tool, uh, this time for March soybeans, March CBOT soybeans. Um, that 50% mark, the 50% probability above and below, is, of course, hovering right around that $14 mark. But if you look at uh, the chances of prices uh, falling below uh, the 25% probability, uh, that that's a Roughly, not exactly, but roughly thirteen dollars. Uh, Seventy-five percent probability is uh, fifteen and a quarter. So that's a pretty big spread, um, and I guess that's kind of our point in illustrating the level of risk that's out there is is a little larger than normal. Uh, and Michael, you know, given the fact that you've got an opportunity to lock in some some good returns. Um, you know, don't get too caught up in the outlook and saying, hey, I think it's going to head higher. Uh, remember about the profitability side, right? Definitely. There's there's quite a bit of downside risk in the, in the soybean market right now because of the negativity that we were talking about talking about earlier. And so uh, you're, you're in danger of, of giving away a big chunk of that margin uh, if you don't uh, do a good job of marketing this year's crop. I was talking to uh, one of the market advisors here recently, and, and uh, uh, one of his concerns that he expressed was the fact that uh, last year, of course, delaying sales was a good strategy. Uh, turned out very well for folks, whether you were looking at corn or soybeans. And a lot of people perhaps thinking about uh, doing a repeat of that strategy. And, and that might work out this year, but there's certainly no guarantee, and the risk level appears to be different. And so don't, don't fall into the trap of just assuming that what worked last year or what worked best last year uh, is also going to be the best strategy this year. There is a lot of risk out there, and I think it is important to take a look at your profitability situation and, and uh, remember to manage your margins. 
So, Michael, speaking of margins. Yeah, we've talked about break-evens already, so I'll, I'll, I'll be rather brief here talking about the break-even prices for corn and soybeans, uh, just to repeat some things that we've already talked about, but dig in a little deeper. Uh, first of all, uh, those that were expecting input costs to perhaps level out uh, going into 23, I think they're going to be very disappointed. Uh, we're still seeing some upward pressure in break-even prices for corn and soybeans to the tune of about 8%. Uh, that's, that's currently what I'm penciling out. That's up from about 5% a month or two ago. And so uh, we're seeing some input price pressure again uh, moving into the 23 year. And so that's certainly not good news. Uh, just to give some idea of how much break-even price has been increased, if you look at high-productivity soil, uh, back in 2020, we were below $4 break-even for corn. We were right at $4 in 21. Uh, in 22, we were right. At, we were at about 510, 520, someplace in there. The break-even price for 23, 553, uh, using my current budget estimates. I think that very high break-even price is why some marketing advisors are thinking about, uh, are talking about marketing the 23 crop. There's because of that very high cost structure. There's a lot at stake. Uh, and, and, and because the break-even prices are, are going to be higher uh, even than that very high uh, level they were in 22. You know, Michael, looking at your results here, the, the number that kind of catches my eye uh, is the fact that you're projecting a break-even for the average productivity uh, land category here in Indiana uh, at $6. Yes. And uh, starting having a break even that starts with a six is uh, kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, that, that caused a little chest pain when I saw that. I mean, that's, that's a very high break even price. And, and to relate that to, to what's going on in the markets right now, if you go to December uh, 23 corn prices adjust for, just for basis, it's about six bucks. You know, $6, $6.10, someplace in there. And so you're about at a break-even point right now for average productivity. That's a little different uh, than what it's looked like the last couple of years. So, Michael, I think it's always good to remind our listeners, you know, when you do the break-even prices, let's talk about the cost that you've incorporated in that. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why the break-even prices have increased. It's not just the, the variable or cash costs like fertilizer, seed, uh, repairs, fuel. There, All those costs are in there, uh, including uh, interest. You've also got machinery ownership costs. Those have certainly increased uh, in the last uh, 12 to 18 months. You also have cash rent. Uh, that's also seen some increases uh, recently. You've got, and you've also got uh, both hired and operator labor uh, included in those break-even prices. So on the soybean side, the numbers look, I'd yeah, very say. very similar story to, 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 uh, to, to corn. Uh, when you're looking at, uh, let's look at the high productivity again. Uh, back in 2020, we were below $10 from a break even, right at $10 uh, in 21. I remember telling folks for a while there that you need to shoot for a, a break even price below 10. Uh, you'd be a superstar uh, if you did that in 22 and 23. Uh, in, in 22, the break even price uh, increased about 1160. And then it, I'm expecting it to jump to 1260 uh, in 23. So very high break even prices. Uh, if you compare that to what November 23 uh, futures price look like adjusting for adjusting for basis. Uh, we're looking at maybe 1325, 1350, uh, someplace in there, which is a, just about identical uh, to the break-even price on average productivity at 1355. And so again, you're looking at more of a, a break-even situation uh, in 23. So Michael, uh, you know, thinking about the percentage change in your break-evens for uh, to the projected for the 23 crop versus the 22 crop. Um, you're looking at a change of about not quite 10%, is yeah, that right? Yeah, soybeans are actually higher 
uh, in 23 compared to 22. One of the reasons why corn was so big and uh, from going from 21 to 22 was nitrogen price. But but now we've got some costs that are really hitting soybeans. Those repair costs, those those those, those fuel costs are relatively high. Uh, you know, machinery ownership costs. You, you're you're hitting you're getting some costs in there are really hitting soybeans hard. So that's going to be a challenge. And I know thinking about um, our most recent ag economy barometer survey. We had, a, in the, which was done in the middle of September, we had about 10% of the respondents said that they thought we would see input prices, crop input prices, decline between 1% and 10% in 23 versus 22. We're not seeing any evidence of that. And in fact, uh, it's probably going to be on the other side, right? I think definitely on the other side. And, and uh, I think, it'd be a, I think it, would be a, it would be neat, if you will. Uh, for lack of a better word, to see something under 5%. I think we're looking at input costs uh, in excess of a 5% increase. Yeah, so if you're in that category and, and you're kind of counting on those lower uh, crop input prices to help you out, it, we think it's unlikely. Uh, we, we hope you're right, but it seems unlikely to us at this stage. And, and what's taking place with respect to river transportation isn't helping at all because that's not going to help the fertilizer market going forward. So. You've taken a look at difference in earnings per acre for corn versus soybeans. I have to say, this has changed several times as we've headed through the 22 year, right? That's why we update it every month. It, it does change. It, it certainly does change, particularly if you're looking at the projections. Corn continues continues to look even better uh, for 22. Uh, this looks like the best corn year we've had since 2012 uh, from a profitability standpoint on the on the case farm. So that's cert certainly good news. And there's also margins for soybeans. It's just that corn looks better uh, than. Soybeans soybeans for 22. Going into 23, this has been moving around quite a bit as the relative prices uh, have been moving around. But right now, I've got an advantage to corn of about $25. Uh, that's small enough uh, that I think it's safe to say that corn and soybeans is going to be a rather fierce competition for acres again in 23. Uh, as a side note, not related to uh, what we're talking about here, corn versus uh, soybeans, at least not directly, uh, wheat double crop soybeans looks like a really good rotation this year, uh, assuming that uh, it's not too dry to get the, re the wheat in the ground. Yeah, good point. And Michael, you, you referenced something that I think some, some of our listeners might be wondering about. So you referenced uh, returns for the 22 crop versus uh, 2012. And for your case farm, 2012 was a pretty good year. That certainly wasn't true around the state, depending on where you were at, right? Yeah, so. yeah. And the yields were down in, in, in 2012. What it really depended on is what what your crop insurance looked like. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming in here that you had 80 to 85 percent revenue protection coverage, and so you got a rather large uh, crop insurance indemnity payment in 2012. That's not the case for everybody. Yeah. So that, just just for some of our listeners yeah. who didn't remember 2012 as being as good a year as what you were projecting, Michael. Yeah. And, and that leads us to kind of a net farm income prospects for 23. Obviously, this is a moving target. It's, it's you know, it's it's difficult to do these projections, to, to say the least. Uh, and so this is going to change quite a bit as we continue to do these uh, these webinars and podcasts. But 23 is starting to look more like 18 and 19. Uh, than it is 20. 
2021 and 22, particularly it's down substantially uh, from what we saw in 21 and 22. And, 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 and there's a wide band around 23. And so we've talked about uh, doing scenario analysis and, 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 and doing several scenarios when you're looking at your cash flow, uh, you know, your cash flow and, and ability to repay debt. That's going to be extremely important in 2023. Uh, because the way it looks right now, uh, there could be some difficulties uh, in, in repaying uh, you know, intermediate or, or long-term debt. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we've had two really good years here. 23 crop year uh, looks quite a bit worse. And I have to say our projections for the 22 year have changed over time. There was a point in time where we didn't think 22 was going to be very good, and it's going to turn out quite a bit better than, than initially projected. But I think 23, that the odds of seeing a repeat of that in 23 are pretty low at this point. Yeah, I think it's more, it, you know, we could see an improvement towards the long-term average. The long-term average is about $140 per acre in terms of net farm income per acre for this case farm. Right now, the 23 is looking at about $75. And so that would be kind of a kind of hopeful uh, scenario or, or best case scenario. Maybe we move up to the long-term average, but I think there's also a chance that we could move closer to zero uh, for the 23 because because as we were talking about, we got a very high cost structure. Uh, if there's a weakness in demand and those prices Prices start to drop, uh, you know, in, in uh, mid 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 2023. Later in 2023, we're in a situation we're going to be upside down. So thinking about that, Michael, we're coming into the fourth quarter here. Um, a lot of our listeners are going to be in a situation where they're looking at a pretty positive taxable uh, income for the 22 year, and of course. That leads people to thinking about some ways to manage their tax liabilities here in the fourth quarter. Thinking about projections for 23, I think we want to be careful about what we do here in the fourth quarter, right? Definitely. I think there's going to be some people that are going to defer some of those crop sales to 23, uh, you know, anticipating that the, 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 uh, the revenue is not going to be quite as good in, in, uh, in the fall of 23. And also, I think you'll see, uh, we see this every year, but I think you'll see some quite a bit of interest in prepaids. Prepays is probably a good move. Uh, when I was buying some machinery, I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, from an ag economy barometer standpoint, uh, uh, the the investment index is rather low right now because the the prices are relatively high uh, for machinery. But certainly, uh, given how good of a year 22 was for a lot of people, I think at least looking uh, at perhaps buying some machinery would be prudent. That's, that's a surprisingly uh, lenient outlook from you, Michael, because usually you encourage people to hold off on that. Uh, so I just think there's going to be a huge difference in the, in the cash flow that we're seeing in 22 compared to 23. That's why I say that. Uh, and, and usually the goal from an income tax standpoint is kind of even out that, uh, even out that uh, uh, taxable income over time. So I'm going to throw in a caveat there, and that is if you're in a position where you've held off on making those machinery investments in recent years and need to update, go ahead and do it, perhaps. I, I think take a look at it, definitely. But uh, if you're doing it just to reduce the tax liability, think about what that's yes. going to do to your working capital, because that's going to have, have some value going forward based on some of our projections. Yeah, I, I kind of embedded that assumption that you would kind of look at, would you really need <laughs> uh, this new machine? What, what, what are the benefits associated with this new machine? Certainly, anytime you're looking at a, 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 a machinery purchases, you really have to look at the benefits versus the costs. And so I, I'm thinking more, more in the situation where they 
they held, they held off for quite a while, uh, maybe replacing a tractor, replacing a combine, or replacing a planter. Uh, all I'm saying right now is the, the, the cash flow prospects in 22 look quite a bit better uh, than what they might be in 23 and 24. And so if you're in that situation where you really do need to look at replacing a particular uh, piece of equipment or, or a tractor, uh, this might be a year to take a look at doing that. Okay, so that's a little more cautious and yeah. a little more, a little bit more like you, Michael. So <laughs> there we are. We're back to back to normal. All right. So uh, that wraps up our podcast for today. And thanks for joining us for our monthly outlook. Um, there are some details available at our website if you want to take a look at the charts that we were kind of referencing during the course of the podcast. We'll have a copy of those available for you on the website, uh, and that'll be accompanying the. Uh, Purdue Commercial Agcast. And of course, we appreciate you taking time to, to download and listen to the podcast and uh, hope you'll have an opportunity to uh, tap, tap into uh, the crop basis tool, uh, which we encourage you to check on a regular basis. And so with that, I'm going to wrap up the program today by thanking my colleagues, Dr. Michael Langemeyer and Dr. Nathan Thompson for joining me today. And on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Mintert. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.